everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Minds podcast. As always, I am your host, George, and today I'm here with Suzanne Samarka. Suzanne, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on. As I said, it's been it's been a long. Are we talking just before I hit the record button? And I was saying it's been a it's been a long day today, so I'm feeling being run down and tired but I feel like this conversation is gonna give me some pep to to get going and and yeah have a nice evening afterwards as well so I'm excited to kind of get stuck in that's the plan exactly exactly so Suzanne uh, the main kind of reason I asked you to come on today is you are creating somewhat of a stir in social media and in in the world so I feel like I see I see you and your campaign everywhere I go at the moment. Um, so I guess that the people who might not know that you're associated with this campaign or might not know what the campaign is, could you start off by telling us a little bit about this campaign idea that you're you're front running? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so to begin with, uh, I started a campaign called hashtag honesty about editing. And um, the campaign is to basically protect young people's mental health from eating disorders, poor body image, low self-esteem, anxiety, depression, and loneliness. So it's quite a large remit of, of challenges that it affects. But what I'm campaigning for is the labelling of content that's digitally edited on social media so whether that be bodies skin uh size that kind of thing um just just provide some honesty around it so that young well all of us to be fair but young people especially and i'll talk about why that's important to me um but so people don't have a negative effect on their their mental health and comparing themselves to images that aren't even possible to achieve. Mm, Yeah, and that's something that I think people talk about it quite a lot uh, within social media and within just the conversations around media itself is this idea of these unrealistic ideals that were shown whether they are an actual you know um real body or if they are edited and uh, as as you're saying quite rightly that there are far too many being edited and not being shown to be fake they you know, they aren't they aren't real pictures they are changed and we're not we're not told that's the case uh so your the idea around your campaign is to is to kind of let people know which one's which yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's just it's key to point out there, actually, that I've got nothing against social media. 
Um, I think it's hugely important um, and can be massively powerful. I've got nothing really against editing. It's her own. To me, it kind of goes in the same category as plastic surgery a little bit. So um, completely up to the individual. What I've got a challenge with is the lack of transparency. Um, and I think specifically for younger people, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not in that category anymore, but I wasn't born into a world of social media. So even though it can still, when you're having an off day, it can still get in your head and you can compare yourself to these images. But I think for younger people, if, if there isn't the honesty and transparency around it, then they've seen it uh, constantly. So mm. they don't necessarily know that these people don't look like that. Mm, yeah, and and I think, yeah, like you're saying, the, the impact that that's going to have on young people, people who have, who as soon as, you know, from, from birth upwards, they're being subjected to these images constantly. Uh, we, I suppose we don't we don't really know the impact that could have either there are, there are studies showing that at least from from what I've read there's a paper by uh, I think it's Scott Griffiths who looks at fitspiration and thinspiration online and when people go on to image orientated social media that tends to link to higher levels of physical comparison so they compare their bodies to those people to the fitspiration or the inspiration on social media. And then that leads to disordered eating or it seems to link to disordered eating. Um, so yeah, there, there is- absolutely. Mm. Sorry, I cut you off there. Um, I think one of the, the key surveys that I saw, and I'll, I'll read it verbatim actually, because otherwise I'll, uh, I'll get it wrong. But uh, the Royal Society for Public Health asked, 14 to 24 year olds in the UK how social media platforms impacted their health and well-being and the survey found that Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram were all linked to increased feelings of depression, anxiety, poor body image and loneliness Mm. Um, and more than two-thirds so about 68% of young people surveyed actually support social media platforms highlighting when content has been manipulated. Now, to me, that says young people are actually asking for this. They may not be asking for it in in public or with peer groups or friends or whoever it be, but actually the, the pressure that they feel under is more than we're taking credit for as as responsible people or carers or, or society as a whole mm. so yeah so maybe, maybe it's it's one of those things where pe- people aren't calling out for it and i suppose that's that's one of the the weird things from you know from my personal experience with an eating disorder and with these issues is you kind of it's almost like a you know it this is definitely the wrong wording but i can't for the lack of a better phrase it's almost like a like a wrong kind of pleasure it's like a guilty pleasure like although although i know it's not doing me any good and if someone asked me you know do you want this to change i would probably say yes but then when i'm on my own i think oh i'll just just look and compare myself one more time and um maybe maybe that's proof that 
it's up to us or you're up to people who can have an impact you whoever it is that you're you're trying to get involved with this campaign to make the change for people because if people when they when we ask them as you said with the survey they say they want that change um but maybe they won't make it themselves or they won't want to push it for themselves because it is that almost like again lack of a better phrase but a guilty pleasure yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting. I mean, I I started to, to give you a bit of background. So um, I've had a family member who suffered from anorexia, and I've seen instances of, of uh, people close to me that have also suffered from uh, undiagnosed but muscle dysmorphia as well. Um, and I'm stepmother to four children. I've got a two-year-old and I'm 34 weeks pregnant with my second child, which is why I can't get to the end of a sentence with a deep breath. Um, <laughs> but I kind of feel like I've seen so many examples. And I think when I saw our family member go through anorexia and we have attended uh, eating disorder clinics, and I've always been so shocked and saddened by how full to bursting these places are um, with adolescent girls and boys alike and you know completely uh, it does change your view on it because my view prior to having any exposure to these kind of challenges and eating disorders for example aren't just an eating disorder it does come with the anxiety or the loneliness or the depression or negative self-esteem that comes with it. Um, and what I found is just that actually my um, my personal view before being exposed to this was it was the middle class white teenage girl. And I think for me seeing a huge range of adolescents, because it was an adolescent unit, um, girls and boys. And then, it's funny is the wrong word, but I suppose when you are exposed to something like that, um, you then hear about it more often because you're aware of it. And I think for me, I just heard one too many examples where I thought, this is worrying, you know. I have got a lot of people growing up, if you like, in my life, uh, whether that be children, stepchildren, nieces, nephews, and so on. Um, but for me, I built my resilience and my confidence in my adolescent years. I certainly didn't build it in my 30s, that's for sure. So I, I find it, such an important time in somebody's life that these challenges whether it be eating disorders or anxiety or any of these things they cause lifelong scars and they're not they're not something that's fixed overnight and I think also that was something that was a real eye-opener to me the length of time that it takes for people to recover from these challenges, but you know, it's not even if you go into inpatient clinics or get the help you need, um, and that's a hard enough challenge in today's world. Um, 
it doesn't happen overnight. So mm. to me, I just thought prevention has got to be better than a cure here. Um, and if it's the smallest step, and it's it's certainly not the reason for these challenges, but it is exacerbating the problem, mm. then I just think it's a step in the right direction. Um, and then if you link that back to social media, for example, you know, I'm not a tech giant. I didn't even know if it was possible. Uh, and I set this campaign up one night watching TV with my partner and I said to him, will you sign my campaign? And he probably thought, Susie's on my soapbox again. Um, and he went on there and said, oh, it says you've started it. And I said, well, I did about 10 minutes ago. Um, don't know if it's possible, but I just feel like I've got to try. I've got to try and do something because we are in a mental health crisis as a society. There are too many examples of this. And if it's a tiny, tiny step in the right direction, then that's better no step in my book. Mm, yeah. And yeah, thank you for for sharing all that. And there's quite a few kind of things I want to I want to touch on there. But I think, yeah, and overall I, I agree with you. And I think um we're often I think we can often get overwhelmed by the issues with social media and with mental health and how everything's you know seems to be going to shit at some some sometimes. Uh, and it can be seem like an impossible wall to face, but the way that we we knock that wall down is brick by brick. You chip away at it, and I think something like this campaign is is one of those bricks. You know, we can not only you know my person the way that I see it, not only are we gonna um, you know help help those people um, first off and just say you know you, you shouldn't compare yourself to this because this is, you know, we've got a note here that says that it's unrealistic. But I also think from a research perspective, we're going to have so much more um, evidence. And um, I think we can we can see how many companies and how many people are editing, because I think a lot of it is still kind of, you know, you're not quite sure if it is or not. I think if we can see the percentages of people that are doing that, it's, and then potentially uncovering that can lead to reducing the amount of times that's done and actually changing the the narrative in social media. Um, I guess that kind of leads me on to a question is what this is maybe a bit of a, a weird one, but why why do you think people why do you think so many things are edited? Why why is it that companies and and these images are put out there in an edited fashion? Why do you think people are doing that? I think it depends who you're talking about. So I think if it's uh, celebrities or influencers, um, they've they've created a society that they can't even keep up with. Um, and then if they fall off that kind of um, pedestal, I dare say that there's a, a worry of how that affects their career. Mm. Um, but I think from a more personal level, it does make you look better. <laughs> you know, if you're having a bad day and you put a filter on a picture, of course you're going to look better. You haven't got bad skin or, you know, whatever it be. Um, and also, I think the slightly toxic thing with social media is 
it's completely a highlight reel. Um, so it's keeping up appearances. It's, you know, showing off the highlights of your life. I'm as guilty of it as anybody. You only ever put pictures when you're on holiday or having a great time or whatever it be until you become parent and then all, all your phones covered in is your child. Um, but it, it is a highlight reel. And I dare say um, there's also, a, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but from what I read, there's obviously a science aspect to it that, uh, the more engagement you get, the more uh, hormone hit of that receiving that like, the same way receiving a text message or whatever it be. And it's, it becomes that kind of addiction is probably too strong a word, but it's, it's close to that. There's that link to it where actually the more you receive something, the more you want it. Mm, yeah I, I agree again I think there are I think it's multifaceted there are there are multiple reasons why people want to post those images and I, I, yeah I, I think the that I guess it's the dopamine spike isn't it that moment of fe- feeling good and wanting to chase that and that's something that I would do a lot and uh, from my personal experience I know that I found, uh, I used to, I was that guy that posted pictures of himself with his top off in the gym constantly, like, like all the time. And I found the more I, the more I investigated my own mental health through counseling and I started to understand myself, I started to notice a link between when I posted like a shirtless photo and then feeling crap the following week and feeling really down. Um, and I think for me, it was because I I think part of me knew what I was putting out was fake. I, I knew that I was doing it at the, the right angle with the right lighting and I was flexing. And so I, I knew that even the praise that I was getting, that wasn't real. Like it, for, for, like it felt, it didn't feel real to me. Um, but then I think on the other side, it was that I... Uh, I guess I anticipated some form of self-worth, like gaining some form of self. Like I, I thought, oh, if I post this photo, maybe I'll feel better. And I never did. Uh, and then I think, I think that that becomes kind of like a feedback loop as well. And that like almost like an addiction in the sense that it's like, oh, I didn't get it that time, but maybe I just need to do another one and then I'll get it. And maybe if I just do another photo, then I'll look good. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't edit personally but like I can see how that would become I could see how I could have gone into that um yeah it's a it's it's kind of a it's a slippery slippery slope you kind of I feel like once you fall and I dare say once you get down that route the feeling and I mean correct me here you've got the kind of the lived experience of it the first time you've you post that photo and everyone goes, oh, you look amazing. Lasts a bit longer than the next time and a bit longer than the next time and a bit longer than mm. the next time. So actually the the benefit of it that you're receiving from that is wearing off a lot quicker. Um, mm. And that's where it becomes such a slippery slope because then, you know, the difficulty is you do look at yourself when you're, in a change room and the lighting's awful or whatever it be 
where it's not similar to what you post in our editing or whatever. Um, and it does look different. And, and then your brain is kind of telling you that it looks bad. Mm. Um, and the problem we've got as a society is society is saying that that looks bad or that everybody should look a certain way. Mm. Um, and I think that's a challenge for younger people and the amount of younger people that since I've set up the campaign that have been in touch um, directly and said, thank you for doing this, because actually the pressure that I feel under is immense. And that makes me really sad. Mm. And, yeah, there, there is that. I guess it's the it's the idea that it's it's that it's like we speak about a lot with social media in the fact that you're seeing everyone's highlight reel, like you said yourself. But I, I think I think as human beings, just in in general life, we experience that. But social media just kind of exacerbates it. You know, like you say, you see yourself every time you walk past a mirror, and it's not a, the best angle, or you know, you those don't know you've been upset for a few days and you haven't showered, or you know, what you see those little things. And every time you you make a mistake, you know, we're all human. Every time we make a mistake at work, or we trip over, or we drop something, or whatever, and these these little failures add up and we and you start to get this realization that you are an imperfect being but everyone around you nobody nobody talks about those failures all the time because they're such little insignificant things and i suppose potentially we're a bit embarrassed to talk about all the failures that we that we go through every year we're all just you know walking like monstrosity you know humans we are just we cock up all the time it's what we do um, but nobody talks about it because you know it's just little um and social media just yeah it exacerbates that for, for young people growing up now not only do they not have those conversations and they real they see their own failures but they also are constantly being subjected to like the 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 good side on steroids in the edited photos and the selected photos and the you know pe- people are going to the point now where their instagram they put photos on their instagram in order to make all the photos look nice together so it's like their entire life just becomes this per- picture perfect like scrollable screen it's not even just the single photo anymore you everything is is balanced and perfect and no one's walking around their life with the exact color scheme constantly but if you look at their instagram it looks like the world morphs to their to their color scheme absolutely yeah it's an it's and so no wonder we start to think like shit like you know when i can walk into a room the colors don't change to match to match my color scheme um yeah it's true though and that's what it's become and and you know it's Everything is having to look perfect. And then when you add that to, like you say, people aren't perfect. We aren't perfect. And I think whilst it's still hard to differentiate that sometimes as an adult, having been an adolescent, which is a tough enough time anyway, um, you know, and you, you don't feel perfect anyway at that age, uh, whether it be, you know, you've got a spot that's come up at the worst time or whatever it be. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget, uh, you know, about a year ago being on the tube um, and there was a girl of about 13 uh, using her phone as a mirror, as we've all done, mm. with a filter on it. 
And I just thought, you're the only person looking at that. Um, and it just, I just thought, that, that can't be, what does that do for her self-esteem or what, what are the, the voices in her head telling her if you can't look at your own image without a filter? Um, and at 13, 14, whatever she was, um, you know, that's scary. I think it, it's so common these days as well. I think um, it, I think one of the hardest things for me personally that I, one of my, my, my first counsellor had like an exercise for me to do was to look at myself in the mirror and, and tell myself that I loved myself. So I would say like, I love you, George Mycock, to, and like look in my eye as I say it in the mirror. And it's so, it's, it felt uncomfortable. It felt weird. I felt like embarrassed and um, no one else was there. No one was around me. I knew no one could hear me. It was just me. I wasn't recording it. I wasn't doing anything, but I couldn't even look at myself and, and give myself some kind of admiration. Um, and then eventually we kind of moved to me doing it with my top off. Like, cause I had such like horrendous body image issues. I would do it with my top off and you know, in bad lighting and tell myself that. And um, you know, it gets better as you do it, but you know, it's it's really it's really hard we i think yeah we're again it's probably a society thing and um i'm afraid i'm 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 just i feel like i'm just complaining and not coming up with solutions but um i think we're constantly just pushed that there's things wrong with us and if you buy this thing then maybe you'll feel better and maybe life will be better and maybe you'll look better and stuff like that and we just we're constantly pushed that you're not good enough, but our company can help you get good enough. Um, and if you get yeah. the premium package, we can make you extra good enough. And, you know, it's yeah. it's just, yeah, it's scary. And that, I think that's a really key thing that you touch upon there, actually. I mean, uh, I haven't thought of it like that, but advertising is a huge part of all of this. Um, and advertising has gone from, being on TV in between 15-minute breaks or whatever it be, um, to constant and being on social media or, you know, I, I, I said to my partner the other day, isn't it weird that you never see um, solar panels talked about anymore on houses? Really random comment. And then next minute, Instagram is sending me an advert for solar panels. And that kind of thing just creeped me out. So yeah. I haven't got theory on or anything like that. <laughs> um, but that just goes to show how everything is is programmed to advertise to you. Yeah. Uh, and and that is having an effect very much so along the lines of, well, you're not quite good enough without us. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's something you know, I... I did my uh, master's degree in sports nutrition and I think nu nutrition is, is one of the worst places for it is you know, the amount of research that gets misquoted and the, uh, the, uh, the amount of, you know, this product will, our product is better than theirs and uh, mislabeling. And, and again, trying to tell you that you're not, like you, you can't possibly be good enough without our, our protein powder, our creatine powder, our BCAAs, you know, the muscle dysmorphia world of needing to create the most muscle growth possible. And, you know, that it's pushed that 
I think you know, the, the general narrative is every percentage that you can get if you don't if you don't go for it, then you're a failure. You know, if you if you decide not to buy our creatine and you miss that that five percent increase in whatever it was, you're not worth you're not as worthy as the person who did. You're, you know, you're yeah. you you didn't you didn't give it your all, you didn't give it your hundred percent, so you're a failure. Um, and that that's just a yeah, it's it's something that you know, now that I'm coming out of it and I'm you know looking looking on it, it's something that re- is really scary. Um, and there's there's so much of that in the in the fitness community and in the kind of gym culture um, that I think yeah, needs to be changed. Absolutely, I think to that point as well. One of the key things I wanted to do with the campaign is dispel this issue around it being a female problem. Uh, because the growing trend in muscle dysmorphia um, is it's terrifying. It really is because it is so misunderstood, misdiagnosed, not enough research around it. Um, and even seeing things like people accepting it because, well, you look great. That's not the point, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you know that as, as well as anybody. But, um, and I think that fear almost of, well, I need to go to the gym every day or whatever it be is growing. And because of this, well, you know, there's a, a very fine line between, uh, you know, keeping healthy and it taking over your life. Um, and I'm absolutely not saying that people shouldn't exercise or uh, do the things to keep healthy. Um, but I think people understanding in men and boys that actually, if it gets to a point where it's taking over their life and it's become a constant in their mind, that's not healthy regardless of how they look and that's what I struggle with the more I hear about it read about it research about it is the lack of understanding around it and that again is a societal problem that well they look fantastic yeah but in their minds they're desperately unhappy or um you know unhealthy because it is just constant for them and it is a constant uh, mindset. The same way as a society, we understand that anorexia isn't healthy, but that's because you look drastically thin. If Mm. somebody has anorexia and doesn't look drastically thin, well, you probably haven't got anorexia. That's also not right. So it's dispelling this... um, we can diagnose people from how you look. Yeah, yeah, and again, like like you said, I I have I know that um, as well as anyone. I've experienced it firsthand. Um, in I've I've had a couple moments. I've had I've had when I first kind of because I, I broke my spine, which is why I so I gained a lot of weight from that. Um, and then I started my kind of I I I wasn't diagnosed with it, but I basically had anorexia. I was I was 
barely eating anything and I was exercising a lot for a significant amount of time um, and the, my surgeon tried to get me to come in to give talks to his other patients to tell them how how to lose weight as quick as me you know I was losing stupid amounts of weight so fast and all yeah all he said was like you know because I was going from I was going from a, a BMI of obese or potentially morbidly obese down to normal so it was oh this is great like you're amazing like you know come in and teach everyone else how to do this and then you know I've also had the experience of um you know since since I'd kind of started to this muscularity orientated stuff and I'd started building some muscle I'd been to a, a doctor's and um I'd, I, I remember him said I sat down and he said oh I said I was there for something completely unrelated and he said oh it says hey, you've got an eating disorder but you don't look like you've got one and then he like pointed at my arms and I was just like I was like like what if I was like on the edge of like you know yeah just I don't know it just it's just it's scary that, that kind of stuff about it is scary and I think to to add to that one thing that I've realized since starting the campaign is actually men or or boys might need more support in this because of the existing stigma that exists around this um there's somebody that I spoke to recently and and they're very active in trying to change uh, mental health stigma and so on. And that's because they had a, a friend, male friend, uh, back in the 80s who actually died by suicide in the 80s. And it turns out he did that because he had anorexia. Now, anorexia had enough stigma in the 80s if you were female. It didn't exist if you were male. And those kind of things is, you know, we're 40 years on. But the reality is, for boys and men, not much has changed and not enough has changed. So it's really a big part of this for me is providing a level of equality. You know, as a, as a female, um, mixed race female at that, uh, you know, I'm half Arab, um, I hear a lot around challenging stigmas and equality and those kind of things. But actually, there's a huge element in, in this world that is balanced the other way. And I think for men and boys, that's a lot harder. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a really difficult topic and one that that's kind of you know, yeah, rife with issues. And I think one of the one of the key problems is these masculine ideals that that men are told to live up to um and as as i say that i know i'm certain there'll be there'll be people listening to podcasts rolling their eyes you know because i you know i know for me anyway when i was when i was into that whole gym culture stuff, if someone started telling me that i shouldn't be i shouldn't be like the huge alpha male like you know taking up the room taking names you know, kicking ass and taking names then like you know fuck you i'm not gonna listen to you um but you know i'm 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 not trying to say that mass, they're trying to be mass, like some of the stereotypically masculine um, traits are, aren't good because some of them are, some of them are great. Um, it's just, there are certain aspects of it. Um, like, you know, there's, there's research that shows people who have um, these muscularity oriented issues, they tend to, um, they're trying to, to portray 
um, the ability to endure pain for some people. So that ability to, to work harder than anyone else and go through exhaustion and push themselves. They, they tie masculinity to that and that makes them feel like a man and makes them feel worthy. Um, but that's not necessarily a good trait to have because you know, things like, like going through emotional turmoil and struggling with something within, you know, they might think, Oh, I have to push through this as well, because that's what a man should do. And, you know, I think, I think historically, you know, research has shown that men tend to be lower at seeking help compared to women. And, you know, like you're saying, I think, I think, you know, I think it is something that needs to be tackled and people need to talk about. And again, it's multifaceted because not only is it that guys feel like they can't seek out because it's not a manly thing to do in air quotes. Um, but it's also, um, you know, if, if someone does want to seek help and does go to the doctor, we know that you know, doctors, doc, you know, and fair enough to doctors, I'm not trying to like you know, um, give them crap, but you know, if you see someone come in, who's a guy who goes to the gym six days a week or seven days a week, um, eats a clean diet, again in air quotes, then you're just gonna think, oh, they're doing great. Like there's no point checking them for any issues. Um, so you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's rife with so many barriers um it's just that you know it's a it's a scary thing and for someone who's gone through it i know i know how difficult it is and how it, it can feel kind of um dangerous to want to reach out yeah yeah i can only imagine um and i think as uh someone who has got a brother a partner potential son um don't know what the sex of the baby is at the minute um but i just think the balance has got to be a bit more uh equal um and i'm not saying it's perfect for women at all because accessing support or, or girls uh accessing support is obviously very still very difficult yeah. um still very complex uh potentially still not in the right space with BMI and all the rest of it um, but I just think there needs to be a lot more research and, and um, like you say I'm, I'm not slating doctors as such but I think it's such a mis misunderstood disease um, in males that actually if you walked into a doctor's surgery and said I feel this this and this and they look at you and think well, you look like perfectly healthy. Actually, you even look better than that because you've got this fantastic physique. Um, and again, it's coming back to that we need to, whether it be doctors or society or parents or family or whoever it be, um, diagnosing people with their eyes. Mm, yeah, and and on on top of that, just kind of briefly, because I, I want I'm, I'll kind of move on with the questions because I feel like we've been talking for a while on this one now. Um, <laughs> but in, in regards to in regards to muscle muscle dysmorphia or kind of muscularity oriented issues in general, women can can get it too. And I, you know, I recently had a podcast with Louisa Vargas, who's doing a PhD on kind of um, athletes mental health and she she found this kind of muscular ideal these issues in female powerlifters 
And there's actually a, there's a study from 2013 that basically the way the study worked was they gave a case study that was that was a um, actual muscle dysmorphia case studies so if someone actually had muscle dysmorphia, but they took the names out and like anonymized it and they gave it to psychiatrists. And one group of psychiatrists, they they told them it was a man and the other group that told them it was a woman. Um, in the in the man group, so the psychiatrist who thought it was a man, they read the case study and only 50% of them correctly diagnosed it with muscle dysmorphia. So again, the, the, the understanding is just not, not, not there. Um, and then in the group that thought it was a woman, none of them diagnosed the person with muscle dysmorphia. So basically, if you're a woman, they just say you like you, you have no issue with it. Um, so I think it's yeah. not only guys, but also just muscularity in general needs yeah. to be needs to be highlighted more. Um, so talking about the campaign, and obviously there's you know it's going, it seems to be going really well anyway. From from my end, from what I'm seeing, obviously it seems to be going everywhere. Why why do you think so many people are getting behind your idea? Um, it is it is going well. It's uh, it's rocketed in in three months i mean like i say i have worked for a bank and have done for 16 years so i've never done anything like this and uh any form of social change or you know anything there's no charity or business behind me or anything like that um but i think it's because it affects so many different people and different roles in different ways um, what I mean by that is, like I mentioned earlier, so many individuals have been in touch with me since starting the campaign who feel under pressure from this perceived perception of how people look. Um, I've heard from a huge number of teachers. Uh, many have spoken to me about how they're having an alarming number of conversations with students who again are under this pressure or also suffering severe loneliness when they feel like their face doesn't fit mm. um parents obviously um many parents have been in touch who are so worried about how body conscious their children are and the ages are from as young as eight or nine all the way through their teens um so it's getting younger and I think a lot of people's first view is, well, why have eight or nine-year-olds got social media? And actually, the people that have been in touch with me, their children haven't got social media or mobile phones or uh, access to these platforms, but it's still talked about in schools. So mm. actually, dependent, it doesn't, to a degree, really matter what these people are doing in their own homes they're still not able to kind of protect their, their children from it. And mm. um, another set of people that have really seen increased challenges in this is social workers. Um, and they've seen massive challenges on young people around this um, and been very vocal and very supportive. So I think it's just the fact there's so many different types of people and all different types of people have got a slightly different view on it and a slightly different agenda, but it's without exception that people have either said, I can't believe this isn't the law or that it should be. And 
what fills me with some comfort but also frustrates me at the same time is since starting this like I say I didn't know if it was even possible but I found out that it's currently the law in Israel and France um, and Norway very recently um, passed it as law as well so if it's very easy to do that three countries are already doing it then to me it feels like a no-brainer and France actually cited the reason for doing it was the negative effects on body related behavior by not doing it so their sole reason for doing it is exactly what I'm asking for Mm. yeah I think I think the there's a funny thing about the truth that just seems to stick with you when you read something or hear something that just seems real like it just it just makes sense and i i think basically what you're promoting is that companies and you know people of influence need to be honest be more honest you know and and you know yeah. there's a you know it's it's not the fact that they're you know, I think some people would argue they're not they're not outrightly lying and saying you know they want I think not many people put this is real underneath their thing but the fact that they're not saying it is the issue the fact that you know people look at it and it's just it's mixed in with all the real photos it's just it, there's just this fake photo that's that's seen as and slowly accepted as normal um I think if, if we if you just hear someone say that we want to uncover that and just let people know that it's not real like i think i don't think there's anyone who thinks that's a bad idea but i can't i can't think of a of a like a reason why that's not a good idea like um it's it's genuinely you know i've I've got this new segment that will be coming up to soon called devil's advocate and i have to come up with a question to like you know to be a devil's advocate and i was i was struggling because it's like i can't think of a reason why this would be a bad idea like how could this no, how could you question it? It just makes so much sense to me. Well, it's a bit like um, hashtag ad on Instagram posts. And, you know, before that came around, I was I'm, I'm very easily salty. So uh, if I see anything, I'm easily buy it. Um, but actually being able to understand that, someone's been paid or receiving some sort of benefit by saying, look at this product, not necessarily actually saying, I use and love this product. Mm. They're two very different things. And I think the campaign isn't saying stop editing or stop people using social media or have an age restriction. You know, that's, that's not my bag necessarily. Personally, I think those kind of things come down to the individual or depending on age, carers, those kind of people. Um, But I think it's just providing that honesty and transparency rather Mm. than no one saying don't do it, you know, do what you like, but just let people know what they're looking at. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that once again just shows how, like, you know, how easy it is to agree with this because I just I don't I can't see anything wrong with it if you're not forcing people to not do this behavior you know I I personally think that that doing it 
isn't necessarily, is, I, I, I can't see the, the long-term positives of doing it. Um, but at the same same time, same I think same um, opinion as you. If people want to do it, then they should be allowed to do it. Like you know, if they people can do do whatever the hell you want to do, like as long as you're not hurting anyone else, you know, um, actively, then I think I think you kind of do whatever you want to do. Um, but what needs to be there is that that truth and you know allowing that subconscious um, influence that you're having on people to be somewhat alleviated at least. Um, and you know, by showing people that you know it's not it's not real. Yeah. So, what are the next steps for you? Like, what where's where's this all leading now? So, uh, for me, the key things that I'm working on, I'm working with a national eating disorder charity, and that's to raise awareness. Um, but also we're looking to create some resources for schools, uh, youth environments, so whether that be football clubs, athletics clubs, those kind of places. Because I think also, firstly, um, everybody says this should be done in schools. And I think the pandemic taught us one thing, and that's that teachers are really heroes. <laughs> um, uh, so I think there's only a certain amount of hours in the day and only a certain amount of asks that we can ask of teachers. Um, so I think also looking at youth environments, whether that be football clubs, I've got two 10-year-old nieces and both of those are uh, massive football lovers. And I think sometimes if it's something that's told to you from a football club or a athletics club or some somewhere that you're you're going to voluntarily you're you might be more open to listening to it and taking it on board whereas if it's done in schools it's another lesson mm. so we're creating resources for those environments as well um i'm working with my local mp so that's a guy called dean russell um, he's a massive advocate of this um, and hugely helpful. Uh, and also the office of another MP, which is a guy called Dr. Luke Evans. So he is an MP, but he was previously a GP. And last year he put together a 10-minute bill in Parliament for exactly this change. Um, because as a GP... He saw how many people were trying to achieve this uh, look or body image that doesn't exist and the effect on people's mental health. He saw that firsthand as a doctor. So he went to Parliament with this 10-minute bill um, and unfortunately the parliamentary season changed. So it falls away and you basically have to start again. So any awareness or uh, public support that we can create can help get him the time to talk about this in Parliament and, again, look to actually change the laws around it. So we're trying to um, almost have a two-prong approach. Mm. So we've got the awareness and the creating the movement in the public, but there is people within government that hugely support this and want to create the change as well so um that's 
that's what we're doing. And then, of course, the, the raising awareness of it and, and trying to create a, a, a movement, whether the law changes or not, the more people that talk about it, the, like you said earlier, doesn't feel like there's many reasons to think why would we not do that mm. so actually whether it be you know there's there are various magazines so I know um Boots and their in-store magazine and um various media companies now won't edit their pictures so actually if that happens I don't necessarily mind if it happens as a, a result of me or not. I just want it to happen. Um, so it's it's just providing that awareness around it as well. Amazing, amazing. And how how can people listening to this podcast get involved or help out? So we've got the petitions. So all signatures are extremely helpful. Um, the petition link is at my Twitter, uh, so that's at Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, Samaka, S-A-M-A-K-A, uh, and there's also an Instagram page for the petition, which is at Protect Youth Mental Health, um, and the link is in both bios, so any signatures, I'll put the link for the the um, petition in the podcast description as well so people can... Oh, fab. Yeah, that's been brilliant. Um, so, yeah, please do share with your own networks. Like I say, that there is no business charity necessarily behind me. Um, I'm working with various individuals just from the goodness of, of their own hearts and time. Um, but it's just a case of reaching as many people as we can. And if you agree with the, the campaign, then by all means, put your name to it. Um, and let's see if we can get some, some change and some honesty around this. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Suzanne, it is time for the Devil's Advocate. <laughs> it's the Devil's Advocate. Um, so as you are aware and as people who are regular listeners are aware this is a new segment i even have a little jingle now um which you that hasn't the 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 first version of it hasn't come out yet where i've got the little jingle um but this isn't really much of a jingle it's just people who are listening to pod will have heard it and it's just me saying devil's advocate and then like fire sounds in the background it's very cool and <laughs> um, makes me laugh when i listen to it so um i hope you all enjoyed so devil's advocate question for today is don't you think people should just stop comparing themselves to these images how will some text at the bottom change that so I think um, there's a couple of bits we've kind of touched on already. I think, especially for younger people, um, although it does affect all of us, I think for younger people it's uh, the fact that they haven't necessarily built the skills to realise what they're seeing isn't reality. Um, and I think it's just helpful to have that honesty around that. Um, but I think also for, I'm, I'm coming at this from 
more of a caring aspect or parental aspect rather than the lived experience. It does provide that ammunition to have a conversation around this, not an argument, which isn't necessarily the easiest uh, with teenagers or, or young people. So I think what it does is it opens up that door to talking about it, and that will always help dispel the myths of online. And I think just by having that label, it allows you to say, you know, don't worry too much about how you look because how you look in the mirror is real. That says that's not real. Mm. Um, and I think that could be really powerful for parents, teachers, um, individuals as well. Yeah, I agree. And that's something I didn't really think about, but that's that is a really important part of it is that idea that, yeah, it's a conversation starter around body image and around comparison. You know, it lets people, you know, it's just, it's that, yeah, that immediate, you know, someone is following people who are constantly, you know, if you, if, if this law passes and people have to start doing this and every picture on your Instagram feed says, this has been edited, this has been edited, this has been edited, this, you, 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 it's going to start that ball rolling to think, oh, maybe I do need to change the things that I'm looking at because it, all of it's fake. Um, so yeah, that, that is really important. Um, Suzanne, I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, three final questions. Are you ready for the first one? Go for it. Okay. Name a person, real or fictional, who inspires you? So this is an interesting one. It's, it's changed quite recently. It's, it's got a bit of an Olympic theme. Oh, um, and that's, to me, that's Laura Kenny. Um, certainly she seems very down to earth. Um, and I think at the beginning of the Olympics, when she got her silver medal, she exposed her vulnerability, disappointment in doing that, um, because she believed she could reach her full potential with gold. Um, and I just think, and it probably has a, a relevance to being 34 weeks pregnant, having had a baby, she completely understands the I've got to work really hard to achieve here and I know how much hard work that takes to get there, but also how many sacrifices as a mum, I dare say, there's been a lot of times she's probably had the thought process of why am I not with my son and I'm, I'm training on a bike, um, but it was worth it in the end. Um, but also one thing that I really respect and admire is that she's obviously married to Jason Kenny and you can just see that that looks like a partnership where they build each other up and they support each other it's not one over the other um I live in quite a non-traditional household we both work full-time and my partner does a lot of the uh I hate using the word childcare when you're a dad because it's not childcare, but that's the word I'm looking for. Um, so actually, I think for me, that really resonates with my lifestyle. And it's somebody that I've just thought, actually, I was, I was so pleased to watch her get gold and, you know, could feel the tears in my eyes. And I just thought, no, that's somebody that I really, really respect. 
So that would be my choice. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the second one is a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know, positives have come from it. Yeah, um, this was an interesting one. I think uh, life is is very up and down. Um, it certainly uh, makes it interesting. But I, after my first baby, and you don't necessarily realise at the time, but you're at your most vulnerable, and it certainly affects your confidence. And I had a very difficult time with a group of friends of mine that I was friends with from school, uh, affected my self-esteem, created anxiety, created loneliness. Um, took a long time to get through it, actually, looking back. But it, you realise that it has made me stronger. It's made me a lot more aware of being around people who make you happy, not make you worry about things or anxious, people that are happy for you. Um, people that you come away from them feeling a lot more positive. Um, and I, I, I feel now, having gone through that, that I fully understand the need for quality relationships in my life rather than mm. quantity. Um, so that, it was horrible at the time, but it was needed. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's really hard is when I think when you notice that there are people in your life that aren't, bringing you kind of positives and that that feeling that like you know you feel kind of obligated to to keep you know pushing for it but I think when you do learn to, to you know to let people like that go it really does you know it's for me it's like it's a great feeling because you're not doing them any harm and you know if anything it's probably going to be good for them as well because you know maybe they'll notice that you know they did something wrong or even you know maybe maybe you know from my personal experience I think the people that I let go I was probably having a negative effect on them as well because you know I was I was um generating um what's the word I'm looking for like I was I was becoming like angry and, and upset with them for for let for me letting them spend time with me like I was I was annoyed at them for for like accepting my invitation to spend time with me um so you know I was probably negatively affecting them as well so actually deciding like you know what I need to stop that view so it's a good it's a good thing to do I think for both parties so the final question or they aren't really questions but the final thing I'm asking you to tell me is a phrase to live by so it's not necessarily a, a well-known phrase as such, but I think um, something that I've always lived my life by is if you can't change it, don't regret it. I don't regret anything. Um, there's things that I won't do again, that's for sure. I'm not saying everything I've done is perfect, um, but learn from it. Don't waste your energy on regretting it. Amazing. Yeah. And I think that is so important, especially, you know, for, for people who are struggling with mental health issues or, you know, going through something difficult. If you do, you know, cock up, if you do have a bad day or something goes wrong where you don't stick to your, you know, your plan or your recovery plan, you know, it's happened now. And 
yeah, it was a bad move. And the fact that you've recognized it as a bad move is great because now you know, okay, what, what led to that? You know, what did I do to get back from that? You know, you learn from it, you understand what happened. And um, I think that's really powerful. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thank you for having me. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, great speaking. And thank you very much for the opportunity to raise awareness of the campaign. Amazing. If anybody Again. wants to get in touch, then of course, do so. Yeah, of course. And as, as, as I said previously, I'll put the link for the petition down below and I'll put your social medias down there as well so people can find you out, follow you and et cetera, et cetera. Um, everybody listening at home as always a huge thank you for myself for making it through another one of the podcasts and i hope to see you at the next one bye thank you so much for listening to that episode here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.